This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is not your co-host, Mike. This is Andy. I'm the editor and sound mixer for the show. And today, the guys are talking with Dan Snyder. Dan is the CEO and co-founder of Lower. And during the show, the guys talk with Dan about his journey and how Lower came to be. Early on in the episode, they talk with Dan about how he co-founded Homeside Financial and the challenges of raising twins while starting a company. That was a wild year. So you start the company. I had twins. Same year. Leave my kind of corporate job, no money. And I remember I spent my life savings literally at the time on like a nanny, like the real thing. You know, we grew Homeside with the idea of bringing home ownership and like the wealth it can create to as many people as possible. Later, they talk about how Lower is focused on working with people throughout the entire mortgage process. So from pre-approval all the way through service after buying your home. This is one of the big advantages we have is a, being a full stack lender. We originate all the way to service. So we're with the consumer the whole step of the way. And that's one of the big value propositions that we have going forward. No different than a large bank. It's just that we're focused singularly on the home mortgage. So if you close with us, we're held accountable. If you've got questions or we can help improve your position in the future, we're along that ride. And then they wrap up talking about how the Lower team ended up becoming the named sponsor for Lower.com Stadium, the new home of the Columbus crew. Even though it's an inexpensive long-term commitment, it's like the thing the entire city saved and it's brand new. Instead of pumping money into radio or TV or whatever locally to try to drive awareness, we figured that it would be a good awareness booster and it 100% has. As always, we hope you enjoy the episode. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is co-host Mike here. We've got a full booth again today with uh, Josh and Tim in the house. Guys, what's going on? Josh just had, uh, he just ran into the first, they, they outlawed scooters on High Street. He was trying to ride our scooter here and uh, ran into- Did you like run here? Learn that or? the hard way. No, I didn't. I don't run anywhere. I <laughs> walked until I found a scooter because I was frustrated. And here's the thing. It, it what I, because my whole life vicinity is in the six blocks of the short north. I feel like this has affected me more negatively than anybody else, but I never even got a vote in the equation. They just did it. Mm -hmm. So I get like, I can drive in the back streets, but the problem is now they've hidden all the scooters everywhere. So I digress, but it's been a very tough week and a half for me. Very scooterless lifestyle <laughs> you're living right now. Yeah, well, it's it's shame is what it is, but maybe we can get it back. I'm assuming that somebody who is much more important than me got hurt through one of these scooters on High Street and then they banned them. I could be a possibility, but uh, that's enough about scooters. We'll uh, talk about our guest for today. And today on the show, we got Dan Snyder joining us. He is the CEO of Lower, as well as a co-founder. And Lower is a multi-channel fintech-focused, helping more people achieve wealth through home ownership. And Dan was recently named the number four CEO by Glassdoor. And Lower is now the naming rights partner for the Columbus Crew's new stadium, Lower.com Field. Uh, his leadership style has led to multiple local and national best places to work awards. He loves helping his own people grow and using a promote from within approach to the company. And since Lower was founded, they've funded more than $16.5 billion in loans across their channels. We're excited to have Dan on to talk about his story, the growth of Lower, and what the future holds. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate you joining us. Josh, thanks you look like you got a question. You gave the... Uh, I was just going to ask him how his day is going. Probably better than mine, I would assume. No, it's great. You're, I think you've had a good day, too. I don't know. I didn't have a scooter issue. <laughs> and I don't think they're banned either. Are they? Uh, they on just High stop, Street. They just you can't working. ride them on High Street. On High Street. There's a block on in the short north that, they, that they've been banned from. What, on the sidewalks? Or? Yeah. Well, no, just in general. You can't have them in like a certain block radius. I'm trying to get the full story. I haven't spent a lot of time on it, but they said it was to reduce crime. I'm not really sure if the scooters were the highest thing on, on the crime problem, but uh, <laughs> there's a stretch in the short north now where on High Street, you cannot 
have a scooter. So, but anyways, it's not our most important thing. The rest I mean, of your day has been good. Of, I mean, yeah, it's been great. I mean, <laughs> we can't beat this weather in Columbus. I will say that there's, there's about two weeks. I feel like I'm constantly in meetings with people who aren't from Ohio, and I tell them that they always ask me how my day is going. I say it's like two weeks of pure happiness for me in Ohio, and this weather is the reason for it. Uh, so I'm just soaking it all in. Mm-hmm. Look, it's freezing from 99 degrees to perfect temperature for two weeks, and then we fade into into first winter. Into the winter. Yeah, <laughs> but. So Dan, one of the first places we like to start is just get a little background on yourself, your story, kind of big highlights along the way. So, I mean, as far back as, have you always lived in Columbus? Well, I mean, so I, uh, going all the way back, I grew up in Akron, Ohio, a town called Silver Lake and a great, you know, big LeBron fan. I, I'm looking right at a Kyle Korver bobblehead. So. Same, same draft class. Yeah. Mad respect. Um, yeah. yeah. Then you know, fast forward, I lived downtown Columbus off West first Avenue, first house I ever bought. And, um, so I, I buy this house, I'm a little bit of a flyer. My, uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, all my friends, all my family, they thought it was the dumbest idea on earth. I was like 23 maybe. And uh, it was definitely a fixer upper, but you know, moved in, had a roommate, paid me rent. And then that kind of was like the initial game changer for me financially. So I, I bought that thing for 200 grand on West First, right by what was like Haiku. Mm-hmm. And then... Three years later, I sold for 300. It's pretty good. I mean, especially when you're only making 50 grand a year at the time or whatever it was. And Mm -hmm. so I have a hundred grand in equity. And, you know, that's ultimately how I, I, I thought about, you know, bringing that mission and vision to our company lower. But, um, so Northeast Ohio, OU by way, came back to Columbus and have been here ever since. And what did you study at OU? Was it finance? Uh, marketing. Marketing. Yeah. Marketing on uh, my goal is to be a lawyer and, uh, ended up in mortgages. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't smart enough. <laughs> so you've got, you got this equity from selling this house and you are now sitting on a pile of cash. Is that, I mean, do you immediately jump into thinking, Hey, entrepreneurial mindset and looking at starting a business or what do you, where do you go from there? Well, I mean, first thought is that the amount of money, if I had just held onto it, I mean, I think this, that same house is worth like 800,000 mm-hmm. now. Right. It's ridiculous. No, I don't know. I just, it was like, I, I started, I, I went to OU. I was going to go to law school, mm-hmm. end up graduating in like three, little over three years. And uh, I wanted to work for a year, save up some cash. And so I worked at um, Wells Fargo. I don't know. They were recruiting down there. And, uh, you know, I was like, all right, I'm only working here for one year. And then I'm going to go to law school. I ended up working there for four years and kind of got promoted up the ranks and then bought my house, saw how, what a game changer it was on my, on my, um, my own bottom line mm-hmm. and then ended up in this industry until now. And it's, uh, we've over the last 15 years, it not only has the industry changed, but you know, we've kind of changed with it. I've been with a lot of the same people, um, through multiple kind of chapters. Um, and they're still with me today at lower. It's pretty cool. Our sponsor is waveform music group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So when you realize the power in real estate, and you talk about making the jump into mortgages. Is that where Homeside jumps in or was there granular steps before that that were missing? Yeah, I mean, um, I had Wells Fargo. I took this um, gig at a, at a bank. So I kind of learned how to like professionally manage 
so to speak, instead of just straight entrepreneur, which I highly recommend. I mean, not that you say you can't do it, but, and then in what, 2013, 14, 2014, we really started Homeside. So I co-founded that. And, um, that was a wild year I had. So you start the company. I had twins same year, leave my kind of corporate job, no money. And I remember I spent my life savings literally at the time on like a nanny because we had twins and my wife was like, which baby do you want tonight? Like the real thing. Um, you know, we grew Homeside with the idea of bringing home ownership and like the wealth it can create to as many people as possible. Because not very many people were focusing in at the time. There's a lot of banks that did it, but they were interested in auto loans and credit cards and deposits and commercial loans and everything. And um, we wanted to make it like the feature of what we did. And so we started it. It was like a next gen mortgage bank, so to speak, where we had um, offices. We started bringing up offices across the country. And then in 2018, decided to take it a step further. And we launched a full digital channel that became lower and um, launched that thing in late 19. And here we are. And so Homeside still exists. Homeside's like the largest of our um, channel partner brands. So we've got really a direct to consumer channel that's lower. We have a channel partner uh, group where Homeside's the largest. And then we have 18 other brands that fall under that. And other like top producers and uh, top groups across the country will plug into our platform. And then we'll brand and create a you know, almost like a company and brand around them. And then, um, you know, we're exploring other things on the, on the channel side, but we've got, I think a unique approach in that obtaining a mortgage is so narrow. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. So you have to save money, which is a novel concept. So we have a bank account, like an FDIC insured account. You can download the app. You can start saving for a loan. Uh, we incorporate the insurance through a digital insurance aspect. So you don't have to worry about it. Like who, who do I have to get insurance for? from blah, blah, blah. And then um, we, we have a realtor matching program that all leads into this kind of core mortgage aspect. And then we're the full servicer of the loans, so like 90% plus of our loans we service. I was going to so, ask that. Yeah. Actually. So it gives us the full kind of continuity. So it stacks up well, no matter where you are in like the stage, because there's a lot of people that want to own a home or they're, they're just not yet. Like they're, they kind of maybe in two years, three years, they want to get out of downtown, move to the suburbs or they're retiring, they want to get out of the suburbs and their huge house and then downsize to a condo downtown. And you, it's something you don't do every day or every year. So you kind of get unfamiliar with it. And we want, our aim is to simplify it. Mm-hmm. What, no matter your age, as long as you can watch Netflix or you can use our system. So to the extent that you're comfortable and you think it's valuable to be sc- to discuss, I'd like to break down just the whole mortgage process to kind of like a st- stupid, simple series of steps to understand Homeside better than better understand lower.com as it relates to that. So when you think about buying a house and what you guys all encompassed at Homeside, can you talk about what the steps were involved in there and like how you guys differentiated yourself? And then we can wrap that into talking about lower a little bit more. The easiest way is that the Homeside differentiate from lower is just the, where the consumer comes. So Homeside, it was coming from a realtor connection or a builder. Lower is coming direct to consumer. They're finding us online. And so the platform and the process of the actual mortgage has not changed. It's improved over the years through technology, but you start with an application, simple applications, custom application we built. We go through the credit approval and then ultimately we make a credit decision, close the loan, you line up the movers and you're in your house. 
So there's a portion here though, right? Where you, like you often when you close on your loan, then all of a sudden you get an email three days later from the other organization and the loan's been passed off to, are you guys encompassing all that under one roof? Yeah, so like that's typical of like a broker or, um, and this is one of the big advantages we have is a, being a full stack lender. In other words, we originate all the way to service. So we're with the consumer the whole step of the way. And that's one of the big, I think the value propositions that we have going forward. I mean, no different than, you know, a large bank. It's just that we're focused singularly on the home mortgage, which we think is, I mean, it's a huge asset already. So if you close with us and we're held accountable, if you've got questions or we can help improve your position in the future, like we're along that ride. So it sounds like to me, like not only does lower the platform of the company, right? The platform and all the different channels, they are with you from, you can, you could use lower from the time you first decide, Hey, maybe I want to buy a house to open up that savings account all the way through to I'm 25 years in on my mortgage. I'm still getting serviced by lower and make my payments there. I mean, that whole process is encompassed. Yep. hundred percent. And okay. it's, uh, it's something we've been working towards. You don't, it's one of the barriers to entry in our, in the, like the home lending industry is that mm -hmm. you don't just start a servicing platform. So like it's an advantage to us. It's, and you know, we, we continue to keep improving it. Why did nobody ever go direct to consumer before? And if they did, why have you guys been able to experience such explosive growth in this space compared to uh, your predecessors? Predecessors means to come before, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, that's like the right word. Us. See, big uh, word people around here. Uh, yeah, so like, like other, there are others in the space. I mean, there's a giant company up north called Rocket. That, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that, Rocket Mortgages. Yeah, they're the ones that were doing it before. People were like, oh, online, like who would do that? And um, now they're larger than... Wells Fargo. So I like, we have a lot of respect for them, but then there's really very few out there. And so we like to consider ourselves as if, if rocket is Nike, then like we'll be the under armor, which if you look at the top 25 lenders, there's like rocket and everybody else. And we're quickly rising. Now that said, we really kind of shift our focus into more of an ecosystem uh, than like a traditional home lender. Cause you know, we want to be able to we want to be able to help out the consumer, whether they're building credit, they don't know what their credit score is. They have no money. They just know that, or they have no idea. There's so much mobility now across the country. I mean, there's people moving into Columbus from New York or San Francisco or Austin, Texas. And you see it all, all the time. They don't know who to hook up with from a realtor. They don't know the landscape. So you can, they see our ad or they search and you know they're connecting into downloading our app, hooking up with the realtor and then connecting in that way to the city to buy their house and that we can help them full stop. It makes it just easier and more cost-effective, hence lower. Hey everybody, Mike here, and we're gonna take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Smart House. Smart House helps keep your home safe and their team offers white glove, custom home automation and security solutions. They can install things like security cameras, alarm systems, video doorbells, smart locks, thermostats, and smart garage doors, all of which can be controlled from a single app. They even do things like whole house home audio and theater systems. And Josh has used Smart House himself. So we definitely recommend you check them out. You can save 50% or more on no contract professional alarm monitoring. And to top it all off, they're a local business. So if you want to learn more about them, check out smarthouseohio.com. That's smarthouseohio.com. And let them know Conquer and Columbus sent you. All right, let's get back to the show. When you look at the uh, challenges you guys have faced along the way, I mean, I'm guessing it hasn't always been smooth sailing where everything's rocketing up. I mean, what have been the biggest uh, turning points for Lower? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, and, and you guys see this all the time, talking to entrepreneurs and you see the struggles and the and mostly the wins. It's like 
you know, no one really talks about all their mistakes. I don't think all the time, but you know, I, I think that as we've grown new challenges, you know, we, it's funny, like sometimes for perspective, you'll go back in like my notebook, like here, like just a little journal mm-hmm. notebook that I jot down like to do lists and you go back a year, two years and you're like, Oh my God, like the stuff that you see then that seemed like issues then are like almost trivial. I, and, and so I think that that's just part of it. So maybe you don't see the giant, there's no giant mistakes. It's just, you know, just continuously trying to improve, but that's what makes it fun. I feel like, I mean, I just did a, I was just reflecting and in 2018, we got to the stop where Homeside was growing and then we like hit a wall where we were growing, but not, there was a risk of us getting maybe like out thought by new incumbents coming in. Um, and then, you know, we really went back to the drawing board and that's when we couldn't just sit there idle mm-hmm. and, and grow like we'd always had, even though we'd only been in business for four years. So we had to like re complete revamp and then launch lower. Something I'm curious about is as the company's grown, how has your role as CEO changed? It's hard to even look at yourself as the CEO sometimes. I mean, I'm like, I'm involved in a lot. I, I prioritize people over everything else we do because without the, our people, and this is not just cliche bullshit. Like, this is like real. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, my job becomes a, almost impossible mm-hmm. if we don't have great people. But I think there's a level of like continuous increasing like the professionalism, if that makes sense. Like we, you know, we bootstrapped the company, meaning that over the last seven years, we've never had outside capital ever. Like, and so now, so we like, not that we weren't accountable to the people or ourselves, but like now all of a sudden we go out and raise the largest series A in Ohio history, a hundred million dollars for a minority. There's no control. So I, you know, we, we have continued to have well over majority control of the company, control of the board. This isn't some sort of like private equity Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like there is a like stakeholders where we have to have like formal board meeting or there's accountability. Mm-hmm. And so I've been leaning on others that have done that before, even in smaller companies. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm, and just being normal. Like I like not trying to pretend, you know, I went to the, I went to Ohio university, Harvard on the hocking, you know, and a lot of these venture capitalists all went to Harvard. Right. You know, it is what it is. I mean, like, We've, uh, we'll continue to get better like we always do, but this is what our whole team has been like excited about. I think like with additional money, how really, how far can we reach? Mm-hmm. Have you found it difficult when your team's growing and you become less involved in that recruiting or addition? Cause obviously early on, you're like, it's me and somebody else or me and a couple of people you have, you know them really well. And as the team expands rapidly, your reach or like your influence on that person, trusting other people to hire the right, you know what I mean? As you start handing it down and down and down, is that something that you've experienced in a negative or positive way? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, as an operator, I, I'm definitely like to be hands-on and I still am. And it's almost like a weird situation where just like just the other day, I'm, we launched Salesforce and Salesforce had some, and I do these like Q and A's. We used to call them donuts with Dan, but then no one ate the donuts. And so I stopped getting yeah. them. <laughs> I'd eat the donuts. No one did. That's crazy. It was like a social test. Getting the wrong people. Only like, like the most in shape people would then be like, they'd be like, oh gosh, you guys aren't eating donuts. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's like a Q&A. And one of the, one of the, a uh, lot of the feedback was that this new system we set up wasn't like optimal, you know, like wasn't operating like I had heard. So I don't know, I went out and just sat on the, you know, sat with the folks receiving the calls, making calls, talking to customers. And it is a bit different than it was maybe a couple of years ago where you're 
people are looking at you like, like, what are you doing here? You're micromanaging me kind of, it's just, it's a weird feeling, but at the same time, like, I don't really care because like the way that we'll innovate and fix and solve things is that going to like, not just myself, but everyone's going to have their eye on the ball. Mm-hmm. So I am involved in that way, but, um, you know, you got to hire, hire. Someone told me once I didn't coin this, but A's hire other A's mm-hmm. and then B's hire C's and D's. Yeah. And that is so critical that you hire in the right people that want to hire in people at their level or higher. Otherwise yep. you will get clobbered with losers. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I see. I've seen I've, my, in my experience, I've seen that and I'm and trying to figure out, it, it just makes sense. You know, like if you get one incorrect person, the earlier you get them, the more it's like a not multi-level marketing, you know, Amway, you get one shitty seller, they're not going to get anybody, right? And that, that whole leg is broken, except for now they're filling it with people that are either like them in the same inefficiencies or their friend or their dad or whoever, you know what I mean? And then you, you kind of lose control. So um, I was just curious if that was something. We try to, we try to, you know? we try to not, like there's a quote that I have in my office and it, it says, it's a Ralph Waldo Emerson, but it's been popularized by like celebrities. But it says that our chief want in life is to have someone make us do what we can mm-hmm. and no more than that, but just, and it's a kind of a reminder to my team, like, don't protect, like just challenge your people. Don't protect them. Don't, I don't want to hear like, Oh, well, you know, cause I think you as an, as a high achiever, if ever, anyone ever said, well, don't let Dan try this because he doesn't have enough time in his normal. Like, let me be the, like kind of the moderator of my own time. Mm-hmm. So we have this thing where we keep challenging our people, you know, does it always happen throughout the whole system? Maybe, probably not, but you try. Well, if you don't give them that opportunity to grow, they don't grow, right? I mean, if you're just stuck doing the same thing, number one, you're going to have higher turnover because people aren't getting challenged if they are a talent, right? A, people want to be challenged. So if you're not giving them an opportunity to take on more, to do a little more, to contribute in a meaningful way, then yeah, you're going to lose people and right, they're going to get stagnant. No one wants to be have a manager make those types of decisions. Like, oh, no, Nancy, like if there was somebody, we're going to do a podcast at the company, let's just say. Mm-hmm. And, oh, Nancy would be great for that. And then their manager goes, Nancy doesn't have the time. Oh, no, no, no. She has to do this. Like, that's just holding Nancy back. I mean, maybe give her the shot. And then if she can't get her normal work done, plus the execute on this new thing, then, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If I'm paying attention to, to one thing on the people side, it's how our leaders are executing with that type of behavior. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So there's two pieces for me that I still feel like I'm like uh, desiring for more details on. One, when you guys initially realized the uh, market need for doing this. And then two, just, you know, the last two and a half years, you guys have experienced crazy growth. And I'd just be curious to hear more about your firsthand take on that and how things have evolved. And you, you spoke a little bit about your evolution of duties as CEO, but maybe just looking at it from a business perspective and bringing on that many people, talking about raising funds, we've never done it before. So I'll bring it back. I'll do one question at a time. The first one, understanding the, the market need for this and, and realizing it was a viable concept. So it's a huge market. Arguably, the I think it's the largest total industry in the country, $13 trillion market. So the need's always been there. And I think that a couple of things has happened in the last couple of years. Number one, and this is pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. anybody that has been in the housing and real estate has seen that 
it was only a matter of a few more years where then millennials will become the largest home buying population of all time. So that's one thing. Uh, it's just that the eventually, I mean, the millennials, I think at the earliest or the latest age, millennials now 40 years old mm -hmm. in 1981. At 40 or 39 or 38, you've at least maybe gotten annoyed with a roommate over the last decade. <laughs> and oh, it's boy. time to just like, all right, it's time to go buy a house. So that's number one. I think it's just a big market. Number two, digital is more about convenience. So you look across at like what, what's happened with Robinhood and some of the other trading platforms, mm -hmm. the banking, these neo banks now are, are gaining more in deposits and market share over the last 24, 36 months, Chime Bank, Monzo, then Chase Bank. That's a real threat. And what it shows is that the consumer is not going, it has less allegiance to these giant brands their parents and grandparents did. Number one. And number two, they don't, who's walking down to the bank branch and opening up a savings account? I mean, you can go like three clicks and you can start depositing with us. It's FDIC insured. And you know, you have a savings account at 0.75%. And that's not like a plug. That's just, we, that's a, that's what technology has allowed us to do. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's helped. And then all of a sudden you factor in the pandemic mm -hmm. where, you know, it just, what it did was it, like, I think on the consumer demand to buy a homes, or second homes, or it, that was obvious that helped. But number two, like the migration, the work from home. I mean, like realistically, how often do you ever FaceTime people before the pandemic? Like zero. I, I mean, I think like now it's just commonplace. If anyone had done a Zoom call pre-pandemic, you're turning your camera off. You're, you're like, this is, a, this is a weird thing. Now it's just like, oh, it's absolutely, we're on Slack and Teams and Zoom and mm -hmm. Google Meets and you know, the same things happened in the mortgage industry. I think that now all of a sudden what's taken decades to try to get through remote online notaries where mm -hmm. we, you don't even have to have somebody go to your house anymore, like you, to sign your paperwork, e-closings, e-signings, everything now is acceptable by the Fannie, like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and Ginnie Mae, the, the government entities like that, like overnight, six months. So you've got an adoption of tech, you've got an adoption of regulation, and then you've got this demand of the biggest pent up home buying population ever. And it, it really was like good timing for us. So, you know, and then there's not very many people doing what we're doing. So I don't know. It was good. I mean, it's, I wish it was like some sort of secret sauce other than <laughs> that, but you know, we, uh, yeah, and then I think that probably the final comment I'll have on that is just, okay, take our ecosystem and the way we think about the customer, but then we really care about the customer. If you look at our public facing reviews, we have 20, 5,000 five-star reviews now, maybe more than that. That's more than Rocket. That's more than SoFi. That's more than a lot of our competitors have. Um, a lot of them get beat up bad and we take them seriously. We're not perfect, but you know, at the end of the day, we are a consumer reliant business and you just can't screw that up. So you guys are sitting there. I'll take it one more. I don't want to beat this one over the head, but I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes at home side and you're sitting there and you're saying, Hey, we're already, we're already finding home buyers, we're underwriting them and we're financing them. We might as well just throw a digital storefront up here and start doing this directly to them. And that's as simple as the starting was, or am I totally oversimplifying it? That's kind of how it was. I mean, it, like there's a lot more intricacies probably to it, but like the home side, it was the customer really was the, the loan officer, the realtor, the builder, and not the con direct consumer. It was 
like if you've seen that show Million Dollar Listing or whatever, like there's big producers on the real estate side and on the lending side. They have big spheres of influence all across the country. And they, it doesn't matter what platform they're plugging into. And that's what Homeside. Homeside is an amazing place. If you are a lending professional, whether it's from, like we have groups from Spokane, Washington to Chicago to Florida, um, and you can plug into our platform. And we serve those customers, which are our loan officers, our mortgage bankers, our, and then their realtors and their builders. Where we wanted to make sure we weren't, maybe had a, a blind spot was, okay, we'll continue to expand that. But really we feel like the, the, the future, so we're in 2018, we're like, we've, we need to win online. And we need to win on the, not just focus on the transaction, but focus on the whole life cycle of that customer. So from like starting your savings account when you're 26, put a few bucks in it a month, and then we'll help you start searching for your home when you're 28, 29, maybe you buy your first investment property with us. And we build a customer for life that we ultimately service. That was the, that was the goal. So we went about it with, in literally in 2018, I came back to my team. I was like, we're going to start a full digital lender plus a real estate insurance savings. And we're going to like make this SoFi for your home or however you want to frame it, but that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to layer in as much technology as possible to make the whole process perfect. And um, we're going to need a new name and we're going to have to have a new team and all this stuff. And that was, like, that was, I think to some extent that fires up some people. Yeah. So we took a, like a small little team and then we hired in like crazy into that team. And that's, you know, we just got the timing right. No, it makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, earlier we talked about raising the series A. So what are the current initiatives right now? What's the plan to keep growing? Yeah, so that was a that was a big thing. So we got that was another kind of in the in the roadmap was at some point if you're going to be a national brand and big national player, you know our our competitor like one of our competitors has raised literally a billion dollars. A billion dollars. That's a big war chest. Big war chest like that. More money than you know my co-founders and I have. And so that, that you're competing on another level. Mm-hmm. And one of our big things was okay if like at some point we're going to need to do it. We just want to make sure we did it in a smart way. Mm-hmm. And so like when the time came, you know, went out and I had a friendly introduction to Excel and Excel partners is like a blue chip VC firm. And I had a, a warm introduction to them and a few others, which were awesome, but there's very few. I knew that, I mean, we're, we're a sizable enough company where I knew that we were going to go try to raise a hundred million or more out of our first rip. And then it limits the funds you can go and actually get, which I didn't know at the time. Like I was actually talking to some and at the end of the, like my little pitch, which is probably horrible, like, like full disclosure, we don't write checks over 10 million. We might be able to squeeze out to 15 million. And I was <laughs> like, well, that's great. But I, I, I don't even know what I'm really doing in this space. I think I need over a hundred million, like just to get, to make sense for anybody investing. So long story short, we ended up really loving Excel partners. I mean, they have, they were the first money in Facebook. They are Spotify, CrowdStrike, Atlassian, Qualtrics, Braintree. I mean, all, and they had a specialty on helping bootstrapped companies go from hundreds of millions in revenue to like billions in going public. So, you know, that, that was a pretty cool thing. So is, is that the long-term goal then an IPO at some point? I mean, I think so. I mean, I think it's, I think we've got a lot of, I mean, we've grown up a lot through this process 
as a company, like it forces you to professionalize and be accountable to more than just your own. But you know, we need to probably get more, more of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no rush. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, we're profitable We're we just raised money. I don't know if we'll even need to raise more. I mean, we have, we've really grown the business with this concept of like staying in business through our own money. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. Even when we did it, we announced it and, you know, I, even some of my senior team, they were like, does this mean now that like, we don't care about profits? Like we can just go and do whatever we want. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> profits are a thing, right? I mean, like there's a lot of companies that we don't have to name that have grown, you know, recently too. And there's just a bottom fell out. Mm-hmm. Like, and so the, from a profitability perspective, you know, it's very important to us. So we continue to keep doing that. But now we've got a little bit of war chest. We can make some shots that we maybe couldn't have. Couldn't have. Mm-hmm. Kind of like sponsoring the Columbus crew. Yeah, yeah, speaking the, of that, the, the let's have rights. that fun conversation. Lower.com field. I'm a big, I'm a big crew fan, been a season ticket holder for years. So I was, I was excited to hear if you have a time, the story of, you know, did you grow up? Like what, what made that partnership happen? Whose idea was that? Okay. So full disclosure, I, you know, I'm a big Columbus crew fan from the standpoint of how they have been like a fixture in the city. And I was, I, I was thought it was amazing when, you know, they were going to leave and then the whole city stood up and it was just like, how cool is that? Like mm-hmm. whether you're a soccer fan or not, like I'm a big Columbus fan, full soccer fan. I, and I you can only imagine all of my big soccer friends now are like, you didn't even go to the crew games before, you know? And I'm like, I, well, fair, but I've always been a fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when this happened, all I knew was they're going to build a badass stadium, the Haslam's and the, and the Edwards family, they don't mess around. Yep. I mean, they like, I'm a big lifelong Cleveland Browns fan and look what they did to the Browns. And so when I knew they were going to build the stadium, all, like a bunch of my friends had already reserved suites somehow. And I didn't even know this is possible. It's one of those like FOMO situations, which I've worked so hard on eliminating from my life. But in this case, I'm like, it's okay. I, I need to figure this out. So I tech, I, I talked to my team. I'm like so if the crew reaches out or let, reach out to the crew, let's figure this out. I need to get a suite. What's going on? So they call but it was a different division. I think the crew had outsourced the naming right to a company called Legends. Legends is names like, I think the SoFi Stadium, other stuff. And um, I was like, you know, can I, I'm down. I love season tickets. Mm-hmm. We want to support them. And he's like, what about the name on the stadium? It's <laughs> a big jump. A little bit of an upsell there. Yeah. And I was like, there's impossible. I mean, I figured it would go to a big, you know, local institutional company. And, you know, the, you know, one thing led to another, and it was like probably a four month process um, we ended up getting it, but it had nothing to do with our funding round. It almost was like a, it happened concurrently. And it was a little bit awkward at one point because we were about, we we're going to do it. And then I'm in midst of this funding round. Mm-hmm. And then you start like wondering, like, is this, cause it's a little bit of a vanity play. Yeah. I mean, I feel like somebody asked you to borrow right, 10 gonna, bucks for the driver's car. Are they going to look at this like we're, you know, oh, I'm about to raise a bunch of money, so I'm just going to throw. Yeah, I don't know if it's like, and so I really didn't, you know, I asked them, I was like, what, what do you guys think? And they were very much indifferent. They're like, we're, we're not trying to, we're not controlling your business. So you do whatever you normally would do. And it, we were going to do it. And that's what we did. But when it all came down, it was really two things. Number one, it had nothing to do with this. Like, really, I didn't even tour the stadium before. You figured it'd be nice, obviously. But it, mm-hmm. was, it really came down to two things. It's either someone said, a buddy of mine, when I was really debating it, he was like, look, you're either going to be a brand or you're not. And just don't get caught in that middle. And I'm like, that's good advice. Even though it's an inexpensive long-term commitment, there's very few moments where 
it's like the thing the entire city saved and it's brand new. And instead of pumping money into radio or TV or whatever locally to try to drive awareness, we figured that it would be a good awareness booster and it 100% has. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you instantly become synonymous with an organization, a city and in front of people that they start talking about it, regardless if it's good or bad, but right. now they know the same, you know, everybody talks about marketing in school, how many times you have to see something for purchases, all that shit over the years they've talked about. Now you're on the side of the thing and it's something that's anytime they're at a, at a match talking about the crew, talking about the new stadium, which is everywhere. You're, you're synonymous with it. So that's yeah. I, I was, when people were talking about it, they were like, why are them? Why them? And I was like, yeah, it's brilliant. You know, that that's not like, even if it was not a brand new stadium, it's still, it's a good move. It's like this thing in the middle of downtown opening that has the entire story, which like you said, even if you're not a sports fan, we had on a podcast, the, that whole story from the team that did that, a guy named Morgan Hughes came out and talked about it. And then we talked with the crew supporters about, you know, the way that the relationship worked. Cause they, they were like, the team was being stolen from us as a city. And we like, we're like, no, not today. So being like a part of that, it's not just a sports story. That is like a like a, a massive story. So for you guys to be on the side of the monument to, you know, the city coming together, that's pretty sweet. I mean, the whole thing was amazing. And then it's been, it's been amazing to watch not only the fans, but the, how ingrained the ownership is to the Nordic and the whole, like, yeah. like the, mm-hmm. the, the super fans. Yeah. Cause I'm coming at it from somewhat from an outsider. Like, look, I'm just, I'm investing in the name, but you look at it inside and there's, the decisions they're making and how they run the organization are going through these, the fans, yep. which is really a cool thing. I think yeah. I mean, that's like what we wanted to get behind. And um, I mean, the games are awesome. Like now I go to every game obviously. And my, you know, the family loves it and our whole team loves it. And uh, you know, hopefully we'll win another cup. Yeah. Yeah. So it it's, it's funny because you got, here we go. They're going to, they're both going to roast me for this, but coming from San Diego where uh, <laughs> oh my God. the chargers were completely, completely the opposite direction Mm -hmm. where Spanos and ownership were like just trying to find any excuse to take the team to LA. Mm -hmm. That was the worst. That was the absolute worst experience as a fan I've ever had. And I don't watch the Chargers play. I still don't watch the Chargers play. Yeah. But coming to Columbus and seeing that interaction of like just everybody. I mean, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen, seeing the entire community kind of come together. And yeah, I think being a part of that and being able to, you know, say, Hey, our brand, our company's a part of that is a huge, huge win. I mean, the government stepped in and like prevented it. Like, yeah. like <laughs> I mean, it happened to, like you said, the chargers also uh, the Raiders, obviously that new stadium as a, not a Raiders fan. I'm like, hell yeah, that stadium's awesome. But the Oakland, they're like, what you just yeah. left us. But look at the Haslam's, the Browns were like literally ripped out of Cleveland, taken to Baltimore, then won a Super Bowl. <laughs> right. And the Haslam's obviously are with the Browns now. So for them to step in and, and be part of the ownership group is almost like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like storybook. And yeah. they're at every game, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I, which is maybe you'd assume, but I don't know. They, like, they're busy people. Yeah. They got right. a little bit of stuff, they got going, stuff on. going on. Yeah. I, mean, they're, like, <laughs> literally, I look over and like, I see them at every game, like engaged. And I mean, it's just, uh, what else could you ask for? Honestly? Like mm-hmm. I think from uh, the city saving it all full circle and um, you know, it was fun to, "Quote unquote," win the rights. I don't know if that's a it's a winning solution, but like, what kind is a win? Yeah, what kind is a win? I knew some friends that I didn't know. I was like that owned businesses I can't name that I'm under an NDA, but they were competing too to try to get the naming rights. Yeah, so it's a W. Chalk it up. It's a W on the board. 
Hey everybody, Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, grows a highly adaptive workforce, and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. What's your favorite place in Columbus? Lower.com field. There you go. <laughs> nice. I thought that might nah, come I mean, <laughs> Favorite place. I mean, like, okay, restaurant, park. Yeah, that's vague. Favorite place. What do you mean? Narrow it down, I will tell you. Well, now I want to I know park because I know park. everybody's telling their favorite park before. <laughs> so tell me your favorite park. I love Goodale Park. Mm-hmm. It's a good park. All right. Restaurant. Yeah, it's probably right where you walk around <laughs> all the time. I love that park over in German Village. Um, Mike, this is not for you. Sorry. <laughs> we'll talk about parks now. There's can, a park over in German Village that's got like, a statue of the lady that got like, right now they Skin got a bunch of statues in there with Mike like loves San Diego. acrobatics. What's your favorite park in San Diego? I don't know. I love I don't the, zoo. the Columbus Zoo, I think greater than San Diego Zoo. I would agree with that. I mean, I was just out in San Diego and I was like, eh. I mean, we're so lucky to have the zoo. That is not my favorite spot. That's not their top attraction no. either. So they, <laughs> I understand why they. In San Diego, we got a few more things going <laughs> yeah. for us. Rest, there, rest, restaurant's a fair one to end on. What's your favorite restaurant? Okay. So I like um, probably Lindy's. And then I love this Ghost Rider, which is kind of out in the burbs. Mm-hmm. Ever been there? I have. Big shout out there. Is, oh it, gosh. Where, is it, where is it at? Where is it at? It's um, like Johnstown. Is that Johnstown? Count? So okay. out that way? Cool. That's a town. I'm living out there. I know. That that way. Way. count for this conquering Columbus. I mean, yeah. it's. Uh, Johnstown's yeah. like basically Columbus. Oh, They're God. part of it. Conquering Johnstown's a different episode. Ghost Rider. <laughs> Ghost Rider. All right. Oh, I'm going to check it out. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to pivot to our last question of the show, Dan. Centered on the theme here on Conquering Columbus. That theme is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much why we chose that one for a show about entrepreneurs, business leaders, that sort of thing. Uh, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, how does it apply to your life and career? <laughs> it's like every day, I feel like, is uh, you know, when you're a, a business owner, and this is not like cliche talk. I just feel like you're always going to be somewhat uncomfortable, especially when you're the, you know, if you're a co-founder, you're a CEO of the company you started because there is no one to kind of blame. Like and we've got 2000 employees, 2000 families that if we mess up on these business decisions, we don't pivot when we should pivot. If we don't like we do the, and we spend this money on the stadium deal and what is that? Like, and we don't have success from it. Like there's a lot of risk. So I feel mm-hmm. like, Every day I, I kind of step into this like uncomfortable, um, you know, kind of like living uncomfortable setting, which I wouldn't have any other, any other way just as a, as an entrepreneur. I mean, like it's a bet on the future yeah. and it's not all roses. That's for sure. But yeah. you know, over time things seem to make sense. That is a great answer. And Dan, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great talking to you. We appreciate you taking the time to tell your story, talk about lower here on the show. Yeah. Thanks guys. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that episode, you want to hear more interviews just like it, then go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We appreciate all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.